I have three uh, memorable wrestling experiences over my lifetime. Most of you are saying, James, you're a basketball player. You're not a wrestler. What are you talking about? Well, who knew? Who knew? I, I really, I have three memorable wrestling experiences. The first came when I was in fourth grade. And uh, some of you may have heard me share about this before. But I was in fourth grade in the town where I lived in, up in Idaho. Youth wrestling was a big deal. And so just like you have youth basketball leagues and youth baseball leagues, in that town they had a youth wrestling league. And every team got a certain person for each weight class, and you wrestled against the person in your weight class. And believe it or not, at the time, I was the lightweight on my team. In fourth grade, I was the smallest kid in class and the skinniest, lightest kid. And uh, so I was the lightweight and this, this uh, particular match, um, it was going to be an interesting match because the lightweight on the other team happened to be a girl. And uh, I just, her, in fact, her name was Jamie. And uh, when I was a kid, my parents called me Jamie. So it was Jamie against Jamie, boy versus girl. And I remember my coach and my parents saying, now you don't have to wrestle. You can take this match off if you want to, Jamie. And I remember thinking, even at that age of my life, that this was what they refer to as a lose-lose situation. <laughs> that if I didn't wrestle, then I would be considered a, a, a wimp, you know, afraid, scared. But if I did wrestle, again, there's a lose-lose there, because if I, if I lost, then my reputation would take a severe hit. Word travels fast on the playground, and uh, to get the news that uh, you lost in a wrestling match to a girl would not go over big in the fourth grade. But if I won, then I'd be insensitive, um, not very nice, and, uh, and, and cruel even. And not to mention all this, I, I think the most significant thing is I remember that was weighing on my mind was that I just didn't really want, as a fourth grader, I didn't really want to be that close to a girl. I mean, wrestling is a contact sport, and I, at that moment in my life, at least, was not ready for such a thing. Uh, I, I had another um, wrestling match in the sixth grade. I'll tell you more about it in a second. That's uh, <laughs> what you call a tease. Um, in the sixth grade, there was another big wrestling deal, and this was at our school. In this little town where I lived in Idaho, uh, they had this crazy idea of shipping every sixth grader in the town to one school. It's what you call a prison. No, I mean, it was like, let's bring them all in there, and let's lock them up in this big building, and then we'll keep them there for seven hours a day, and then we'll let them back out. But uh, this year, this school, every year they had a wrestling tournament. And so in every weight class, it started as a PE unit, and you started to wrestle other kids in your weight class. And if you won there, then you wrestled against someone from another class. And, and you just kept kind of wrestling, and you kept, if you kept winning, then you kept progressing in the tournament until the final was wrestled in front of the entire school on an official big wrestling mat with every sixth grader in the town present to watch this particular wrestling match. Now, I really didn't want to win, but I think I kept, like, falling to that fight-or-flight syndrome, and I'd get in these wrestling matches, and everyone would be yelling and cheering, and, and I would just keep wrestling, and so I kept, I won my class, and then I won the next level, and then I won the next level, and then I won the next level, and finally, I found myself in the school final, and I'll never forget this wrestling match because I sat there on the row, again, at the far right in the lightweight seat, the first match of the day, and I looked down at myself, and I noticed my, my gray 
sweatpants and my T-shirt and my, I think, my Payless tennis shoes that I use for, for P.E. And I remember looking across the mat, and across from me sat the son of the high school coach, wrestling coach who was dressed in his wrestling shoes and his singlet, I believe they call them, his little wrestling thingamajig. And I think if I'm remembering right, he even had the headgear rolling. And I thought to myself, I am in bad trouble. Uh, well, you'll be glad to know that I actually did wrestle the girl in fourth grade. And she was actually my only pin of the season. I took her down. And, uh, uh, you know, what did I say? Um, however, I, I think you'll also be proud to know that I didn't die against the kid in sixth grade. And uh, I didn't, my only claim to fame is that he didn't pin me. I spent every minute of every round on my back fighting for survival while the whole school, I'm sure, just felt incredible pity for me. But when that final buzzer rang, I got up, felt like I'd won, even though I lost 13 to 3. Uh, the third wrestling experience in my life is really any wrestling match that I have with my kids. And uh, ever since they were small, they just love to wrestle. And they just ask me, and still today, I'll be just minding my own business, reading a book, watching TV, and I'll sense someone slithering up next to me and whispering into my ear, want to wrestle? <laughs> and I realize that these wrestling matches are likely getting, you know, fewer and farther between and will come to a stop here pretty quickly, hopefully. And um, also I realize that sooner or later the, the tables are going to be really, really turned and I'm not going to be able to hold my own at all. And so um, for the time being, I'm pinning these two as much as I possibly can. And when I can get them both at the same time, which isn't very often anymore, that's all the better. Well, wrestling, wrestling matches that are important. Maybe you have some as well. The passage that we've read this morning speaks of another kind of wrestling match. And uh, actually, the, the New Living Tra Translation that we read calls it a fight. Look at, look at verse 12. I think I have that up there, just the first part from the NLT. Uh, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. The NIV uh, refers to it as a struggle. You can go to the next one. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, the powers of this dark world. But it's the English Standard Version and the New King James and some others who speak of wrestling. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. The original word speaks of a contest or a fight that's been translated in these three different ways, a hand-to-hand -hand combat with the goal of pinning down and defeating one's rival. And however we want to translate it, fight or struggle or wrestle, the writer of the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul, is clear about one thing. This particular match is not against another human foe. It's not against the flesh and blood, as Ephesians, Ephesians puts it. It's against a spiritual enemy. The, uh, the evil rulers, the authorities of this unseen world, the mighty powers and evil spirits of darkness. And it is equally clear from this context that we need to catch this right from the start, that 
that this time the stakes of this wrestling match are, that are on the line are not one's pride or one's reputation. It's, it's not the, the, the city championship that's on the line here. It's not even family bragging rights. Really what's at stake here is our very lives. This wrestling match is urgent, serious, it's intense. A battle where the opponent will stop at nothing less than not a simple pen, but destruction of our lives. That's what the Apostle Paul is talking about. If he's not stopped, it's a struggle that most of us are quite familiar with. If we were to think about our daily lives, if you were to think about your morning today, you can quite likely think about this struggle, this wrestling match, this, this fight. Undoubtedly, we each find it Particularly hard, it seems like, from time to time to, to, to live out our faith, to practice the things that we know that God would want us to do. We find it difficult to forgive. We, we forget to pray. We, we neglect reading our, our scripture. Temptation seems more persistent and pervasive at times than, than, than ever. We, we find ourselves pulling away from the body of Christ. We find ourselves isolating and pulling into our own worlds. Perhaps Some of us have never really considered the source of at least some of these struggles and uh, how they might be a part even of a larger, more comprehensive attack against you and against the people of God. Well, it's this battle that we want to talk about over the next several weeks here in in Sunday mornings. It's what some have called spiritual warfare. What a a term. What a phrase. And I I hesitate to even say it because it's so loaded. And when you Google that, please don't do it right now, but I'm sure you will later. Uh, When you Google it, I mean, you get all sorts of writing and all sorts of perspective and all sorts of different angles on that. And there's some that really take it to, to various extremes. But more specifically, we're going to talk about how we can prepare ourselves how we can ready ourselves for this battle that is really raging all around us and how we can put ourselves in a position where we can engage our opponent and successfully defend ourselves. We're calling this series Stronger because that's what God makes us. In the face of adversity, in the face of struggle, in the, in the fight that we are really born into, it's God who makes us stronger who assists us, who enables us, uh, even in the face of great hostility and trouble, uh, to, 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 to live into the life that he's called us to, to, to trust him. Uh, we're not interested in this series, and we're not interested in the Christian life in running and hiding. We're, we're not interested in sort of hunkering down and just waiting for the enemy to leave. Guess what? Um, we're not called to a protected sort of sheltered life where we may, may be surprised or, or somehow shattered by spiritual opposition, but we're called to a life that is awake and that is alert and that is prepared for whatever may come, clothed in what Paul refers to as the armor of God, ready to stand firm with conviction and confidence and resolve. If you're unfamiliar, the letter to the Ephesians to this point has largely been about the grace and the goodness of God. The first couple of chapters in particular in the book of Ephesians talk about how God has done just a gracious thing in making it possible for us to come to be in relationship with him. In fact, some of you maybe remember back in chapter 2, some famous words from Paul. He writes, "...for it is by grace that you have been saved." 
through faith. This is not from yourself. It's the gift of God so that no one can boast. And he writes beautifully about this grace and love of God that has accepted, made it possible for people to come into relationship with God. Those who have been saved by grace will live in ways that are pleasing and glorifying to God. And so beginning about the middle of chapter 4, he sort of turns the page a little bit and begins to say, all right, now that God has graciously accepted you, now that you have entered into relationship with him through Jesus Christ, now this is what it looks like to live for him. And he begins to get very, very specific. I encourage you to look back at Ephesians, middle of chapter 4, on through chapter 5, some very specific instructions as to what it looks like. And one, at the beginning of chapter 5, he says simply this, Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ who loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. We are to live, as one writer said, we are to live our lives as one giant thank you card to God, one giant expression of gratitude for what he has done for us in giving us his son, Jesus, and making our salvation possible. Now we just turn around and the whole expression of our lives is one of gratitude, one of thanks, one of worship for all that God has done. Now here in chapter 6, the conclusion to his letter, uh, Paul gives what some writers I've read refer to as a star moment. You know what a star moment is? This one person talks about a star moment as something they'll always remember. He gives them a star moment. These readers, it's like, okay, we know about grace. We know about what our lives are to look like. And Paul says, get ready, because here I come. It's like the, 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 the most incredible halftime speech you've ever heard, right here at chapter 6, verse 10. Um, a final word, he says. And you can imagine, at least I can, this letter being passed around and read to the churches in Ephesus and the surrounding areas. And you can imagine as he's gone through all this and then he comes to this place and he says, a final word. And if it were our day, people would start to kind of pack up because that means it's time to go. But I can imagine in, in Paul's day, the people saying, wait a second, a fi- what is he? And, and on the edge of their seats and leaning forward, a final word. What is it that he has to say to us? He's wrapping up his letter. He's doing so in a way that would rouse the emotions of these people. And he did it in a way that hopefully will rouse our emotions as well. So we're going to dive into this study in the weeks to come. And we're going to be looking at each of the various pieces or components to the armor of God. We're going to look at them week to week. But as we dive into these weeks of study, I just want to highlight a couple of foundational truths that this passage, these first few verses of the passage make make clear that we need to hold close to our hearts as we think about the different aspects of this, this armor. The first is simply this, our enemy is real. And that may sound very, very basic to you, and you know, you might want to give me a thanks, I knew that, Pastor James, but I just want to, to just remind us uh, that our enemy is, is real. And maybe of a couple of realities about this real enemy that, that we may have either forgotten or just sort of have slipped by us. In his introduction to his excellent book, actually, on spiritual warfare, maybe you don't think about it that way, but it really is, C.S. Lewis wrote in the introduction to the Screw Tape Letters uh, these, these words. He said, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe 
and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, the devils, are equally pleased by both errors. And they hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. Such good words for us. And we need to find ourselves, friends, in somewhere in the middle between those two extremes, not looking or fearing a demon behind every rock or the devil, as Flip Wilson, I believe, said many, many years ago, probably a little bit before my time, but some of you remember, that the devil made me do everything bad that I ever might do. We don't necessarily need to see it in this way, but at the same time, we need to be very much aware that our enemy is real. Jesus spoke a lot about the enemy. One of the most powerful times that many of us might remember is when Jesus said that he had come to give life and give it more abundantly, but there was a thief who had come to steal and to kill and to destroy. And this is who it was that Jesus was talking about. There is this real enemy. This is exactly what Paul is writing about when he speaks of our battle not being against flesh and blood. This real enemy is personal. It's not, the, it's not a force. It's, it's not just a power. It's, it's personal. Uh, Paul paints this picture, really, of a panic-stricken devil, a panic-stricken devil who recognizes that in the cross and in the resurrection, God has done something amazing, and he has actually conquered him and defeated him. And yet, as the, this devil watches the new life that is springing up all around and the new body of Christ that is setting into motion and into mission and lives being transformed, this panic-stricken devil decides that he's not going to go down without a fight. It's almost like, as one of my theology professors from the South taught us, like a chicken with its head cut off. I've actually never seen one of those. Some of you have perhaps, but uh, from what I understand, they're dead, but they're going to make a, as big a mess as they possibly can before they stop kicking. This is sort of what this personal real enemy is all about, working to distract, to depress the young believers there in Ephesus, to blow them off course, uh, to, to with false teaching or temptation or anger or immorality, this, this enemy is, is personal. I, I know we've talked about this before, but I still can't get over how if I, if I search for anything on my computer, then that particular item or that concept comes back on other websites. And I know there's an easy technolo- technology that makes that possible, but it still feels really weird. Uh, you know, like I want to, to buy, you know, or Thomas has been shopping for a new baseball bat or some new cleats or, or you know, something else that, that I've been shopping for. I'm sure I've been shopping for something lately. And, and, and on Amazon, that other tool of the enemy. No, I'm just kidding. And, uh, and, and over on my Google account, it, it somehow has worked its way into my email. And so as I'm, as I'm reading my email over on the side, there's an advertisement for this exact same thing. It's like, it's like they... They know. They're watching. They, they, they do know. And, and, and we sing that song, he, 
He, he knows my name, and, and it's such a great song. And, and we have to know that, that the enemy knows us as well. He doesn't know us quite as well by any means, but he knows some of our weaknesses. He knows our vulnerabilities. He knows how to get at us. He knows the things that we feel uh, deeply. He, he knows the things that are bothering us. He knows the people and the situations that are bothering us. Um, how often... Do we consider those people or those situations that are bothering us and we get upset at them and we forget or fail to look through them to that which may be causing them? He's strategic, Paul writes, about our discouragement. Um, One particular word of warning and encouragement as we think about uh, this real and personal enemy is simply this. In talking about spiritual warfare, we might experience personally to experience Uh, some level of spiritual warfare. Does that make sense? One guy said it like this. The topic of spiritual warfare is itself the subject of spiritual warfare. In other words, the enemy doesn't like us talking about him and how we can uh, strengthen ourselves against his attacks. And so we might ready ourselves for those attacks. And interestingly, while I'm not one to look for a demon under every rock, Even this week, I've felt a little bit of that in my own heart and in my own life. Um, That's the warning. The encouragement is this, that uh, we might suggest that if we're experiencing these kind of attacks, then, as maybe you heard said, then we're people that the enemy feels like he needs to be worried about. And if we're not, then, then he has just sort of said, well, he or she's okay. I don't need to worry about them. I'll just leave them alone. So an encouragement that if those attacks may be coming in a variety of forms, then know that perhaps we're on the right track. This real enemy is not only personal, though, but he's organized. Forces, principalities, authorities, they all operate under the enemy's control. Uh, There's no real kind of description of great organization, but it looks like he's very intentional. I I heard a podcast recently about cybercrime. And usually we think about cybercrime as, you know, like some uh, discontented hacker in his mom's basement or something, you know, just attacking corporations and individuals. But this, uh, this, this reporter talked about how actually in Russia today, there are major like office parks and cubicles and people who show up eight to five, and just all day long try to hack into American companies and try to sabotage little old ladies' personal computers and get information and hold uh, information hostage. It's like a profession. It's like something that they just do. It's very incredibly organized. It is not random, and it made me think that this is the same in the enemy's case. He's not just kind of getting lucky when he trips us up. He's not just sort of saying, um, let's try this today. It's like, I kind of know, I know where we're going with this. I've got a plan. I've got an organized effort that I'm setting loose in this person's life. We need to stand firm. Again, it's the strategies of the devil. If he has a strategy for us, we need to have a strategy for him, friends. And just ignoring him is not a good one. The more, dis- the more we disregard him, One wrote, the more damage he can do. Personally, he's organized. He's relentless. 1 Peter 5.8 says that the devil 
prowls about like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We need to know that we're on his horizon, we're on his radar. And whether it's us, whether it's our families, our marriages, our children, our church, we're all in the battle zone. But if this passage makes clear that our enemy is real, it also makes clear just a couple other realities that I want to be sure we understand. Really just one, that we are well-equipped, that we are well-equipped to defend ourselves from the enemy's attacks. He is not stronger in Christ. We are stronger. And that's the, really the first reality of this is that, that we are not alone in this fight. At the beginning of that passage says, be strong, but actually it's a, it's the, the, the verb there is passive and it should be strengthened. It should be said, be translated, be strengthened. Not be strong, but be strengthened by the power of God. So we're people who are not just sort of like gritting our teeth and flexing our muscles and and working out so that we might be able to fend off the attacks of the enemy. We are people who are leaning into, as we sung about earlier this morning, the grace and the presence and the strength and the power of God so that we might stand firm. We stand not in our own power, not in our own strength, but in the power of God. The devil whom he has already defeated will not get the upper hand in our lives as long as we stay close to him. Went on a run with Katie the other day when it was really hot. That was really dumb. It's hard to run when it's really hot, and some of you know that. But I knew how hot it was, so what I did and what Katie did is we just drank a ton of water before we went. And it's sort of this idea, I mean, maybe it felt a little heavy in here, but, but it, we were hydrated at least. It's sort of this idea that we're not going to think so much about how hot it is out there. We're going to think about how much fuel and hydration we can get into our bodies. And, and I think this is the case in our, our spiritual warfare as well. Our focus should not be on how strong the enemy is and how wily he is and how strategic he is. We should be aware of that, but our focus should be on how great God is and the resources that he can pour into us. And our desire should not be, you know, this one guy talked about how Paul doesn't say to be strong in deliverance prayers. He doesn't say to train yourself in exorcisms. He doesn't say to get a great understanding of evil. He says, be strong in the Lord. Be strengthened by the power of God. And so as we think about ourselves and and our ability to withstand and to defend ourselves, we think about, This counterintuitive, not the focus on the enemy, but the focus on the God who resources us, who fills us, and who fuels us as we move forward in faith. And the second part of that, that we can indeed withstand and defend ourselves against the enemy's attacks, is that this reality that we've been given the armor of God. We've been given the armor of God. And, And I remember when I was a kid... You know, we, we didn't really wear seatbelts. And I remember being in my front seat as like an infant, or not an infant, but maybe a toddler. You know, some of these memories, these traumatic ones are stuck in your, in your head. I remember being in the front seat, and I somehow opened the door while we were driving. And I leaned on it, and the door opened, and I was like this, you know, leaning out. And I remember seeing pavement right there. And, you know, my parents, we weren't going real fast. I'm sure my mom pulled over as quickly as she could, right? 
Mom? And, and, and I was safe. But, you know, we, I, we've seen pictures as well of kids, like in, babies in the front seats, you know, facing forward. And how crazy that is as we look back at it. And now, when we get into our cars, if we have a baby, we just put them in that car seat. We buck them up. They're faced the wrong, you know, going the, the backwards direction. And when we get into our own car seats, maybe some of you older folks still have a little bit of trouble with this because it was ingrained the other way. But most of us, we, first thing we do, we reach for that seatbelt. And, and it's just become a, a natural sort of thing for us as we step into our cars. Well, what if we were to begin our, to live our lives in such a way that it was just perfectly natural and normal to pray for and to strap on and to put on the armor of God? the clothing of Christ into and onto our hearts and onto our lives, just as normal and natural as it is for us to slap on that seatbelt, for us to wake up in the morning or to think about our spouses or our children or our friends or our coworkers or our church and begin to pray naturally and normally and loudly and powerfully that the, that the armor of God would be surrounding and strengthening and protecting and, and defending. We have been given this armor of God, and yet so often we don't lean into it. What is the armor of God? Well, if you think about it really, and we'll look at this in depth over the next several weeks, but it's just simply the, uh, the very qualities of Jesus himself. He is truth. Jesus is righteousness. Jesus is peace. Jesus is the living word. As followers of Christ, we fight best by clothing ourselves with the armor of God that is the very character of Christ. And by allowing that light of Christ to shine in us and through us, and in so doing to get rid of the darkness of evil, to bring Jesus into the situation, to fill up the darkness, as we all know, the way you chase away the darkness is simply by introducing light. That's what we're to do. Uh, he, he doesn't just want to draw attention to the spiritual battle, but to unveil Paul here in these moments, to unveil the strength inherent in every person, you and me and us, who is in relationship with God. Aware of the enemy, but also aware of the resources that God is making available to us. Well, the enemy might keep coming. He he will keep coming, but he won't have victory anymore over us because we'll be ready, we'll be prepared, we'll be stronger as we stand firm in the power of God. Let's stand even now together, can we? Worship team, come. Thank you, Lord, that you're helping us. that you're stirring us by grace. You're drawing us to yourself, that through your word you're reminding us of something that we're actually very aware of if we think about our own lives. Even if we think about this morning, this day, some of the people, some of the situations, some of the experiences that we've gone through, if we think about our own journey of faith in recent days, some of the ways that, that you have that you have helped us even in the midst of, of difficulty and some of the ways perhaps that the enemy has sought to trip us and to deceive us and to destroy us. 
God, we recognize that we're in a wrestling match. It's a death match. We're in it all the way. And the one who wrestles against us is the one who wants to steal and to kill and to destroy. But the one in whose power we stand, the one who resources and fuels us, the one who provides us with the spiritual armor is stronger. And so, God, we would ask you even now to empower us, to strengthen us, to help us to lean into your grace, to lean into your strength, and be people who, as we are very alert and aware of all that is going on around us and even sensitive to the spiritual realms, that we would more and more believe that you are able to help us. We pray over these next several weeks, God, as we lean into this study and learn more about each piece, each particular character of Christ that we might take on, each component of this spiritual armor, that we would be people who are in process, who are on the journey, who are learning more about what it means to be individuals and a community that is standing firm in you. Help us to do that even now. And there might be some people who are facing a a spiritual battle that maybe they hadn't even identified it as such. Perhaps some who who are the the sort of the victims of the strategic work of the enemy even even today and even right now. God, we pray that you would uh, open our minds, open our hearts and our eyes to see that reality and to step forward into the hope and the future that you have for us even today. We give you ourselves. We thank you for your power and your presence with us even now. We pray this in Jesus' name.